0: What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and what a beautiful victory Tuesday it is. Following Washington's 32 21 win over the Philadelphia Eagles, a game in which Washington had 25 first downs in comparison to Phillies' 18, 12 for 21 on third downs, ran 81. Offensive plays compared to Philadelphia's 47. Had 40 minutes and 24 seconds of time of possession compared to Philadelphia's 19 minutes and 36 seconds. Forced four turnovers. Ladies and gentlemen, an absolutely fantastic momentum changing, season changing, and really, even more, considering the situation, franchise-altering win. For Washington on Monday Night Football in Philadelphia against a then 8-0 Eagles team, and now as we sit here on Tuesday morning, an 8-1 Philadelphia Eagles ball club. So we're going to get in, full recap of Washington's win, just a game that really you look at it from the start. Antonio Gibson's 40-yard kick return brought back by holding. Right then and there, you're thinking, ah! Negatives. Trying to stay positive on a nice kick return from Antonio. Brings back on the first play. Which obviously leads to that strip sack. Eagles go up 7-0 on that Jalen Hurts one-yard run from the goal line. Right there, you're giving them points. So to start that game, you gave them six points. Then Washington drives down the field. Antonio Gibson, one-yard run. Ties it up at 7-7. Then you come back down. Now, I want to get into that DPI penalty that that wasn't by Benjamin St. Just An absolutely beautiful coverage play down the boundary, down the hashes. You couldn't have played it any better. I like how physical Benjamin St. Just is on the perimeter. I talk about his length, his 33, 34-inch arms that he has. The ability to reroute guys on the outside, especially when you're facing a guy like Devontae Smith where his release package is outstanding. He's an excellent receiver in this league, but he's very light. Doesn't have much sand in his pants, if you will. And with the, Benjamin St. Juice being physical, 25, 30 yards down the field at full speed, a little bump goes a long way. The refs obviously want to throw that ticky-tack call, which led to Philadelphia scoring on that drive, which was a Dallas, Dallas Goddard six-yard hookup from Jalen Hurts. So then it's 14-7 towards the end of of that first quarter, then Washington begins to take over that football game. Absolutely taking over that football game. Philadelphia scored 14 points in that first quarter. They didn't score again until the Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith hookup in the late portions of that fourth quarter. Second quarter, third quarter, most of the fourth quarter, Washington was absolutely dominant in all facets. Offense, defense, controlling the line of scrimmage, not allowing Jalen Hurts to create with his legs. Miles Sanders, 12 attempts, 54 yards. Jalen Hurts, 6 attempts, 28 yards. Biggest play of the game came on that fourth quarter when Montez Sweat had that sack on 3rd and 8. Absolutely changed the ball game. Now, there are a ton of plays here and there where the ball could, again, ball could bounce here there and the refs couldn't throw in a flag here. We talk about the Brandon Graham flag in that fourth quarter when Taylor Heineke went down on a knee. That's a frustration penalty, and that was a penalty. I get it. Could be a ticky-tack call. But the refs will ticky-tack most of the time all night long. All night long. And you look at Washington in this game, and you look at Philadelphia from Philadelphia's perspective, no team has held the Eagles under 20 minutes of time of possession since 2015. No team rushed for 49 times against the Eagles since 2004. Washington did that last night. Ryan Robinson, 26 carries. Antonio Gibson had 14. Curtis Samuel had four. Taylor Heineke ran it five times. No team has converted 12 third downs against the Eagles since 1991. Over 30 years ago. Let me say it again. No team has converted 12 or more third downs against the Eagles since 1991. Washington did that last night with obviously going 12 for 21 on third downs. Washington did all of those things last night in that ball game. They came out fired up. Absolutely fired up. And, and the thing is, is that they scored 32 points against this defense. Now here's the thing. We came into this game understanding that where Philadelphia is weak is, funny enough, within the trenches because of how dominant that front four and rotation of five, six guys can be from a pass rush standpoint, but they are susceptible to being run against. And Washington got the ground game going. And and I cannot say it enough, grown-ass man, Brian Robinson Jr. Carrying five, six, seven Eagles for that first down run and then obviously getting into the end zone later on that drive. Fletcher Cox, a big man, strong dude, over 300 pounds, pulling him backwards and one of their corners, pushing him out of the end zone, did not matter. Brian Robinson, eyes, peeking over to the pylon, and just getting in the end zone. No one could stop him from getting in the end zone there. Now, my thing, and the first thing that popped to my mind when he got in that end zone, I wish we did that against Tennessee at the one yard line, right? We talked about that weeks ago. Just running it at the goal line. You got a guy like Brian Robinson. You got big heavy backs like Antonio Gibson as well. That looked good again last night. Those are big dudes. It was cold in Philadelphia last night. And a lot of the time when Brian Robinson got on the tracks and he came downhill, same with Antonio. Philadelphia didn't want to tackle. Tackling up high, tackling at the hips. That's not going to work against guys that are coming down at 220 pounds. That just does not work. And as many times as Washington rushed like yesterday forcing Washington's front five to get going they were not moving guys 3 4 yards off the ball. Javon Hargrave, Marlon Tuolopo made that flash play in the first half, Fletcher Cox, Milton Williams. Washington wasn't blowing them off the ball, but what they do what they did do well was they blocked technically well and sound what I mean by that is they, they sealed very well. On the outside, if you're running that 5-hole off the left tackle, you're running that 6-hole off the right tackle, you're sealing well. You're flipping those hips to your to the opposite sideline, and you're sealing guys inside. That's what they did well with. And for Robinson and Gibson, we didn't see any of Jarrett Patterson yesterday, even though Jonathan Williams was inactive and they activated Patterson, which I, I possibly would have liked to have seen. He's got a little bit more juice from a top-end burst. But obviously, Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson holstered the load yesterday. They combined for 40 carries, over 100 yards, two touchdowns. Now, you look at their averages. Antonio Gibson rushed for 3.1 a pop, and then Brian Robinson averaged 3.3 a pop. But they consistently stuck with the run game. Even though that first series with Scott Turner, I had my concerns. And if you follow me on social media at underscore Ryan Fowler on Twitter, I was tweeting a little bit about Scott Turner and the 5-7 drops that we cannot have, we couldn't have, with Taylor Heineke from what we saw in week 3 with Philadelphia. That just gives too much time when you're asking Charles Leno and you're asking Cornelius Lucas and we saw Sam Cosme play yesterday. You're asking him to, to protect for 3-3.5 three, three seconds against that really, really good pass rushing five, six, seven guys that Philadelphia has. A very deep rotation of guys. That's what we saw in the first series, which led to that strip sack. Then the quick game started to come for Washington as we move forward into that second and third and fourth quarter. It's where you're trying to hit screens. You're getting the ball to Curtis Samuel on some designated touches in the backfield. I didn't see much what I'd like to see from Logan Thomas or John Bates yesterday. You look at the receiving game. Logan Thomas was targeted four times. Two catches for 12 yards. Armani Rogers didn't have any targets. John Bates didn't have any targets. Leading receiver... Number 17, Terry McLaurin, 11 targets, 8 catches, 128 yards. Didn't get in the end zone, but he was absolutely... Darius Slake could not hold Terry McLaurin's launch yesterday. One of the plays on C.J. Gardner-Johnson, that second half, Terry McLaurin, you can hear him on the the sound uh, from that game on the sideline. He comes out, he catches the ball on C.J., comes to the sideline and says, don't put a safety on me. And that's true. Now, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, remember, played nickel at Florida in college and played at some safety, a hybrid nickel, with the Saints and he's done some with Philadelphia and he had a pick yesterday and an outstanding play on that ball that hung up that Taylor Heineke he just cannot throw. But Terry McLaurin yesterday was a game you could see him in warm-ups. He was jacked up vibing. That whole offense was vibing yesterday and Terry McLaurin man. I can't say enough about number 17 and the, the job that he does consistently week to week. There is not a single corner in this league that can hold him one on one. There is not a single corner in the NFL that can face up man-to-man, play 75% of their snaps man-to-man against Terry McLaurin, and win their matchups a majority of the time. 50%. 51%. Can't do it. Eight catches, 128 yards. And his speed is is a dynamic that doesn't matter if he's catching nine balls, like on that 41-yard throw from Taylor Heineke. That was nice down the right side of the field. Or he's creating on screens. Or he's over the middle of the field and creating after the catch. Dynamic speed. He's tough. After contact, he's not the biggest guy in the world, and that's the biggest thing with Terry McLaurin. Not the biggest guy in the world, but he's physical at contact, takes hits, and moves forward. And then when he gets up to speed, good luck catching him, because he has that 4-3 speed that we've seen many a times over his years in Washington, just blow by defenders. Curtis Samuel, two catches, 28 yards, wasn't heavily involved in the passing game, but he was everywhere. And what he does that what makes his his presence so unique into this offense as a chess piece is if he's not catching 5-6 balls, which you've seen him do almost seemingly every game this year, or he's not having 5-6 carries, now again, he had 4 carries for 12 yards yesterday, but usually he's getting that 5-7 to seven carries mark where he's taking some jet sweeps, he's taking some direct snaps in the backfield, they want to show some wildcat looks, they showed one yesterday. Curtis Samuel on the offense, on that orbit motion, jet motion, smoke motion, whatever you want to call it, whatever... Your terminology is, he moves defenses at the second and third level. And a lot of the time, Washington runs that not just to make it look cute, but as a man indicator for the defense. So if they send Curtis Samuel in motion and there's a safety or there's a corner that follows him, now not every time that's a man indicator for defenses and what Taylor Heineke is looking at, but you give yourself a ton of options when you send him in that motion. You take it, you have an RPO, you can give it to Robinson, Heineke can keep it. You can buzz Samuel out to the outside and throw a screen, a, a screen out to the flat, let him work vertical. There, there's so many different things that Curtis Samuel does for this offense, even when he doesn't get the ball in his hands. Because Terry McLaurin doesn't do it, Jahan doesn't do it, Jeremy Brown, we saw a little bit yesterday, he does not do it. Curtis is that chess piece that we've talked about, even moving back into last year, of how important his health is for this football team. And I'm extremely happy that he's been able to stay healthy. Through these first 10 games. There's still 7 games to go. So a, a still a, a while for Washington to continue to play good football. They are 5-5. Five and five. They are still in the hunt. You got the Houston Texans coming up on Sunday. You got the Falcons after that. You got the Giants after that. Before the bye week. And then you get the Giants right after the bye. These are games right now. When you look at Washington. What they did on Monday night. They set themselves up. In a good position. To challenge for a wild card spot. Come the turn of the new year. Late in December, come Christmas time. They're 5-5 five and five right now. That's an average football team. But from what I saw last night, that is a football team that can compete with anybody in the league. I'm not going to kind of go head over heels and say Washington deserves you know, to be a contender in the NFC, a top 2 or 3 ten- contender. But what I saw last night and how, how much I know personally from experience about how much and how hard it is to win in the NFL, and how hard it is to win in the NFL against an undefeated team, and win in the NFL on the road, and on Monday Night Football, it's not easy to win in the NFL. And and did I think Washington was in a good spot last night going into Lincoln Financial Field? I did. I talked about in the preview about how this is a game that Philadelphia could very easily overlook Washington and find themselves losing this ballgame. And they did. Again. 32-21, a game that ended on a pitchy, pitchy, woo-woo play of the Eagles, throwing it backwards of Smith and Casey Tuhill, who had a damn good game, by the way, along that front five. He was explosive coming off five-tech. He's taking a lot of those Montez Sweat rotational reps and, and really chase young reps at five-tech outside the left, left tackle, but he was explosive all night long, just crashing down and making plays, and good for him to pick up that ball in the end zone, score for Washington, and then gritty on their field, which is absolutely outstanding. I know you guys enjoyed that as well. And I want to talk a little bit about defensively. even though We know we talked about the offense and John Allen, De'Ron Payne, Montez Sweat. They showed up when it mattered most. They were not dominant all game long, but we know how successful and how good and really just one of the top offensive lines for, for a while now in football in that Philadelphia Eagles front five. But I want you guys, and I'll have it out once the All-22 comes out from that game, I'm going to post a clip of John Allen and what he did to that poor kid, Landon Dickerson, back in that second half, just made him fall on his backside, and a huge play, lose on first or second down in, in the latter portions of that game, to get in Jalen Hurts' face and force an incompletion, John Allen showed up when it mattered most. Daron Payne getting his hands up and in the face of Jalen Hurts when it mattered most. Montez Sweat, that sack on third and eight in the second half. When it mattered most. I wasn't asking Montez Sweat to be a dominant pass rusher all night long. Again, Jordan Mailata, Lane Johnson, Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey at center. They have a very, very good front five. But they limited Philadelphia's ability to run the football. Ron Rivera talked about a postgame. What they were focusing on to limit Jalen Hurts. Forcing him. They knew that they were going to take those deep shots over the middle of the field. A tip of the cap to Derek Forrest. He was absolutely all over the place. I liked what Benjamin St. Jude said. He was everywhere last night. They picked on him a little bit. Had some ups. Had some downs. But as a second year guy. And a potential CB1 for this roster moving forward. Now we will get in to draft talk. Potential corners that I like for this team moving forward into April. Because I do believe Washington needs another corner. Though Kendall Fuller was fine last night. Making plays downhill. Getting his hands active. He's been good the last two weeks. I'm very happy to see that. But on the back end, in this defense, Derek Forrest made plays. Cam Curl was all over the place. But they forced Jalen Hurts to beat them with his arm. And they were chasing that ball game as you move in to that second half where you go into that fourth quarter and they're down nine. That was the adversity that I talked about forcing the Eagles to face because they haven't faced any all year long. Haven't faced any of that all year. And you're up nine as you move back into that fourth quarter. And Washington limited him on RPOs. A couple of times, they were scooting for eight, nine, ten. He's a physical runner. Those, you saw those third and shorts just get to the line of scrimmage and run QB sneaks, and he gets three yards. He's a very, very strong athlete. Very strong in, in his lower half, and ability to just push the pile. And it obviously helps that you're running behind Dickerson and, and Kelsey within the middle. But Washington did a nice job conceptually of limiting Jalen Hurts' ability to create with his legs as a runner, and then when he's outside the pocket, creating outside of structure with his arm, even though when he he's outside the pocket creating with his legs, because he has a threat to run for 20 yards or deliver downfield to a Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, or Quez Watkins for 30 yards. You look at Philadelphia's receivers. Quez Watkins led the team in receiving yesterday. And mainly it was because of that 50-yard catch. That, what happened? Benjamin St. Juice made a heck of a hustle play. Forced that fumble, and Derek Forrest recovered. That was a huge turning point in that ballgame in that second half. Quez Watkins, four catches, 80 yards. Devontae Smith, six catches, 39 yards, and a touchdown. Dallas Garter, three receptions, 23 yards. But this is where it gets big. Jack Stoll, one catch. Zach Pascal, one catch. A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, one of the top receivers in football, and the wide receiver one for Philadelphia. Four targets, one catch, seven yards. Four targets, one catch, seven yards for A.J. Brown yesterday. That deserves a tip of the cap, a massive tip of the cap, and a pat on the back for Benjamin St. Juice and Kendall Fuller. Rashad Wild Goose was a healthy scratch yesterday, so it was Denny Johnson in the slot. Cam Curl, Bobby McCain, all those guys. You look at the second level, Jamin Davis was all over the place, led the team in tackles with nine. You saw some John Bostick. Now, I don't want to see a lot of John Bostick. I'll be completely honest with you. But it's what you got right now. And he was roaming sideline and sideline as much as he could. He's by no means the athlete of Cole Holcomb or Jamin Davis. I would like to get Cole Holcomb back in these next few weeks. But again, this defense, again, showed up. First quarter, you allowed 14. Really, you gave him 14, as I mentioned earlier. Didn't do anything in the second quarter. Didn't do anything in the third quarter. And in the fourth quarter, they're ch- they're chasing the game. And you understand they're going to throw. Took a couple shots down the field. Now there's some, some concerns for me as far as the overall speed, the back end of this defense. But that I think that will change as you you potentially you move on from Kendall Fuller and you move on from guys like Bobby McCain here, net, moving into next year, the next few years, and you get some fresh legs because you look at this young athletic core that Washington has in their secondary, coached by Chris Harris. And you got Cam Curl, Derek Forrest. You drafted Percy Butler out of Louisiana Lafayette on, on day three this year, in, in April. You got St. Juice, the second-year man out of Minnesota, use a day two pick on. These are young players, a young core that you have moving forward that are getting a ton of snaps in big-time ball games like it was last night to where you have something to lose, and you're throwing them into the fire and forcing them to make plays. John Ridgway. Forcing the fumble on Dallas Goddard. I get it. It was a face mask, but I really don't care. I was sitting on social media, looking at all of the some of my good friends from the Philadelphia beat up with the Eagles, complaining about all oh, they missed a face mask. Welcome to our world. The Burgundy goal has been dealing with crap from refs. I can't tell. We, you, you all know. You all understand. They missed a face mask, and John Ridgeway coming and being active and punched the ball out. Who's actually? I, I've been happy for John Ridgeway. Remember, he's a kid from Arkansas that Dallas drafted in the fifth round this year. They cut him. He's latched on with the Commanders and had some nice rotational reps at 1-3 and three technique with Federi Mathis obviously missing the season. He's done a really nice job, and forcing that fumble was just an outstanding job to, to force that and to get Washington's offense back in the field. Now, they didn't do anything on that drive. That wasn't the time where Joey Sly hit a 44-yarder or a 58-yarder or a 32-yarder or a 55-yarder. He was absolutely fantastic last night. So a tip of the cap and a stock up for Joey Sly. But for that face mask penalty, when when Ridgway forced the penalty, I could care less. I'm not going to say, oh, boo-hoo. Oh, boo-hoo. Bergen and Goal, we've been dealing with this for 25 years and, and longer for a lot of you out there. Again, I was born in 96. I've been watching this team since early 2000s. From what I've seen since I've been alive, it's the same crap. Usually those face mask penalties or those missed calls usually are on Washington. And you, know, you just kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, ah, this is typical. We saw that makeup call later on in that second half by the refs. Some ticky-tack. It was ticky-tack from the refs all night long. And I like to see, unfortunately, football has become soft. But I, I would like to see just let let them play ball, let them play ball. The DPI on Benjamin St. Hust, it's it's not a, it's not a pass interference. The rub route from Jahan Dotson calling the offensive pass interference, it's a rub route. Every team runs in the NFL. Well, they're gonna throw a flag on that. Why? Because it's a makeup call. Stuff like that. It's ticky tack. But I will tell you, I am not sure as heck gonna sit here and say, oh, they missed the face mask call. Really? I I, I could care less. I don't care. Seen it for years and years and years. Because it usually doesn't go in Washington's favor. 58 yarders to end the half. Usually don't end in Washington's favor. Joey Sly knocked it through. 55 yarders to really seal that game. Put Washington up 5 to force Philadelphia to score. With 7 minutes left in that 4th quarter. Usually those are missed. Joey Sly pounded it through. Just huge moments yesterday that flat out we're just not used to seeing following and covering this team. We're just not used to seeing it. And yesterday was a really a breath of fresh air into the lungs of this football team. You saw how emotional Ron Rivera was post-game, talking about how his mom would have been so proud of him and this football team for winning that game yesterday. Just from an emotional standpoint, how big that win was for Washington, I cannot understate it. It gets you to 5-5. Five and five. It doesn't get you to 7-3. and three. Or eight and two, it gets you back to five hundred, and in the grand scheme of things, you are five and five. But wins and momentum can—all you need sometimes is that metaphorical light bulb to turn on, and to switch, and things start to change. And as long as Taylor Heineke is under center, no, nothing was. Everything wasn't perfect yesterday. That pick that C.J. Gardner-Johnson had when Terry McLaurin was open down the sideline. He has to be able to drive that ball to the front side of the end zone. But, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't have the arm strength to do that. Those are the limitations that we know that that Taylor Heineke has. His best throws come within that 15 to 25 yard area of the offense. The shallow to mid intermediate areas, he's able to drive the ball when he can. But if you ask him to drive it 45 yards down the field, that ball hung up. Terry McLaurin's a 4-3 runner. You got to drive that and let him run under the football. He doesn't have the arm strength to do that. So from a, if you want to talk about negatives and playing devil's advocate from yesterday, on Scott Turner's perspective, don't run route concepts that where Taylor Heineke cannot make throws. Saw Troy Aikman on the broadcast last night talk about how he had certain guys open in certain areas. Can't make those throws. I get they're open, but he's not able to make that throw. And Philadelphia understood that as well. So they tried to take away those intermediate areas of the offense, which they did a decent job of. Heineke was 17 for 29, 211 yards in that lone pick to Gardner Johnson when he's trying to target Terry McLaurin down the field. He wasn't great. And really, you just, you don't want Heineke to continue to turn the ball over. We saw the the pick, how it hurt against Minnesota. That pick could have hurt yesterday against Philadelphia, but it was on third down and really just worked out as a long punt. But moving forward, it's just what you get from Taylor Heineke. And what you get is a guy that gives you a chance to win football games. The limitations are there and we understand that. But it's the intangibles of who he is under center. What he can do from a dual threat perspective. We look back to that snap over the head of him from Tyler Larson. He's able to run back 10 yards and grab it and throw it to the line of scrimmage. I'm Sorry to say it, but Carson Wentz probably would have Dove on that football and lost 15 yards. Have that ability to be athletic enough to run back 10 yards, you know you guys are going to be in your face, and to throw it back to the line of scrimmage and not get a penalty was a huge play in that ballgame. Huge. Taylor Heineke does little things. Doesn't do the big things well. No one's going to compare him to the most talented quarterbacks in the world. But every time that kid lines up under center, he has a juice that he provides to this football team and a vibe That this football team hasn't had in a while. He's 6-5 and now as a starter in Washington. 6-5. and It's over 500. In the NFL where it's hard to win football games. It's flat out. He gives you a chance to win. Every single week. Washington scored 32 points yesterday. Against one of the better defenses in football. That's a damn good job. I'm not going to play negatives and and sit and and talk about the, the pick all day long. Or what I didn't see from this offense. You ran the ball well. He did some unique things on offense from a conceptual standpoint. Taylor Heineke made some nice throws. That ball to Terry McLaurin was absolutely beautiful. He kept his legs active. I would like to see him take it a couple more times on his RPOs. Create with his legs a little bit more. While also taking care of his body. But every single week that number four is under center. He gives you a chance to win. And that's the bottom line with this football team. And there's no question moving forward. Whose football team this is. And it's Taylor Heineke's. So that's going to do it for today's podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, please leave a like, review, share, subscribe. All my written work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. Including more audio content and video content. Again, if you don't follow me already on, on Twitter. Underscore Ryan Fowler. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts, your sports, your news. You can find us at. Again, always appreciate you guys tuning in. I will have a full preview out. For you guys of the Houston Texans, Washington travels down to Houston on Sunday for a 1 o'clock matchup with the 1-7-1 Houston Texans, led by quarterback Davis Mills and running back Damian Pierce, rookie running back Damian Pierce, which we will get into as far as a guy that they are going to force feed this Sunday to get that Houston offense going. So again, appreciate you guys tuning in. Always appreciate your time. Full preview out for you of the Houston Texans on Thursday, but enjoy this win. Enjoy your week, Washington 5-5, and and a huge win, 32-21 over the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football. I am Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. I'll talk to you on Thursday, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe.